Fabulous with Vibs and Vicky, the ThinkShift podcast for professionals who aspire to be fabulous leaders, those who not only succeed, but also purposefully seek to reinvent the world. Welcome to another Be Fabulous podcast. This is number two um, in my series with Will Harrington. Uh, If you haven't heard the previous episode, part one, um, we're really tracking what it's like to go through the what we call the career journey or the career quest at four stages from superstar performer to well from newbie to superstar performer from superstar performer to awesome manager awesome manager to top-notch executive and then you know one day hopefully to fabulous leader and uh last time uh you know we'll talked about this very much through the lens of what it what it means to come from the world of programmatic trading um we talked about what that actually is for those of you who don't know, um, but also uh, to kind of give you a you know very quick recap. You know, we talked about what it was like to be successful as a superstar performer in that in that world, and uh, you know, Will was really open about um, uh, you know things like you know what success looked like, money, recognition, and influence. I suspect uh, I'm pretty sure that when I was at that stage of my career, albeit not in programmatic trading, I think I pretty much wanted money, recognition, and influence too, which is kind of interesting. And also some big lessons learned along the way. Uh, you know, just a recognition that you know the world doesn't really revolve around you, even though you'd like to think it maybe does. Um, l- learning what it means to be T-shaped, um, being being careful not to compare yourself too much to others, and comparing yourself more to yourself, which is very difficult. And this kind of idea of you know, you will fail, you know, don't, 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 you don't want to fail on purpose, but you want to learn from it and you want to move on as quickly as you can. And so, so if you want to hear more about those through the lens of, um, of, of the world of programmatic trading, please, um, you know, check out episode one. Episode two, and uh, this one I think it gets interesting now because you know I guess we're charting your career really and your experiences from working with others in that industry, and so now you've done it right. You crushed it. You're really really good. You know you bought your first Ferrari. I'm kidding. Um, I'm sure you have four by now. Um, And uh, you know everything's wonderful. You know you're young. You're dynamic. You're living life in New York or wherever it is that you're living, and someone promotes you and suddenly now, you know, your responsibilities are different, right? They, they, they are, they are more encompassing. You know, we call that, we call that the awesome manager journey, whether it's, you know, managing people, managing process or whatever. And so I open the floor to you. Like, uh, tell us about what, what, what was it like when that, you know, when you got tapped on the shoulder by, you know, I imagine it was Gorman or someone else at the company. And it's like, you know, you're destined for bigger things. Now you need to step up and do something else. And what happened? Yeah, I think the interesting transition from individual contributor to manager for the first time for anyone. Um, you know, I'm coming up on my sixth year of management. So I started at a much bigger company um, outside of MIQ. I think the, the mistake that we make in some situations, um, not always a mistake, but what we look at is the best individual contributor, or the best at their current role, um, is usually the first one tapped on the shoulder to be a manager. And we look at those tangible outcomes and their ability to hit, um, check all of the boxes um, as an individual contributor. And, and we push those people into management roles because we think that that is the proper progression, is you take your best performers and you move them up. 
And I like, think, a, like a default career path. Exactly. And I think um, what I've learned over the years, and I think something that I'm really fortunate um, for is that, you know, a lot of my inherent skill set um, falls on the people side of things. So while I was a great individual contributor, I had someone that saw kind of the coaching, mentoring side of me, even though it hadn't developed yet, and tapped me on the shoulder and put me in a position where I could grow into that. So I think the, the trouble, the, the mistakes that we make are, are always just looking at individual contributors and not looking early enough at, at the signs of a good leader, um, the signs of a good manager. And I think um, that's where that transition is really important. So, Will, you're in a very, me- that, that world, though, is very metrics, measurements, revenue-focused kind of world, right? I mean, it's, and it's very quantifiable you know, we, at, at, this, at the previous stage in your career. So why do you think it happens that, I mean, it's not surprising, right, that you tap up your quote-unquote best performers and say, now you're responsible for more stuff. Um, I, you know, I see that pattern all the time. And, and you know, what, what I, you know, from an organizational point of view, um, if you don't look, if you don't look at, how can I put it, the data of past performance to inform future performance, then what do you do? Like, what do you look for? I think past performance has to be evaluated, right? I think especially in a very metrics-based um, industry and a very metrics-based role, um, it's a really important part. I think the first year or two of a new manager in a programmatic trading or in an account management or in a sales role is going to be measured based off of the success of their team. And a lot of new managers are going to get there um, by leaning in a little bit more than they should. Um, And they're going to see success because the same things that got them the recognition as an individual contributor are going to get them recognition as a manager. And I think, you know, that's where the hard division lies because a lot of the success of an an entry-level manager is going to be helping their team be as good as they were as an individual contributor. I think finding that balance of, what does coaching versus micromanaging look like is the most important thing in a metric-based kind of team environment. Yeah. Yeah. So when you, when you, what we see in other industries, and I'm really curious to know, I imagine it works exactly the same in the, in, in the, in the MIQ world or the programmatic trading world, is people tend to get promoted into these roles. They have these new expectations, but they just turn up to the ne- work the next day and do whatever they did before. And generally they get told they're still doing a good job because they're still exceptional at whatever it, is, whatever it was that got them promoted in the first place. So is that, does that, well, firstly, does that happen in your environment? Yeah, I think you see that across every industry, right? It's, you would hope that anyone moving into a management role, um, you've kind of laid the framework for them to be doing that for six to 12 months before they officially step into it. So, you know, we do a good job at MIQ of making sure that any senior member of our team that has an interest in managing um, is not only getting some training beforehand, but is doing some mentoring. You know, some of their project work might be onboarding of new employees or, you know, the coaching of some of our more junior employees. And that's how we see those inherent qualities in people. And you see that ability to, to coach, to grow um, without spoon feeding, I would say, because that is the biggest um, miss, I think, of early managers are they're going to feel that short-term success by kind of spoon-feeding and getting their, their employees to the right answer by giving it to them rather than asking the right questions to have them get it there themselves. And then you see growth on kind of both sides of that equation. So you subscribe to this kind of idea that kind of have them in the role partially doing what they need to be doing later on anyway before you promote them because otherwise, I mean, you're reducing your risk of it screwing up. 
Is, is, do you subscribe to that view? Because there's the other side. The other side is, you know, is it fair to give people responsibilities until they have the what we call the positional power and the title? Like, should should you be get, should you be betting on their potential, or should you be hedging the risk that they'll screw up and thereby give them the role beforehand, just without the recognition and the rewards associated with it? I, I'm really, I, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. I'm just curious as to your philosophy on that. Yeah, I mean, listen, I don't think you can move anyone into a place of positional power and not have them trip over their feet a couple of times, regardless of the preparation you do beforehand. But I think. You know, anyone that wants to be in that kind of mentality, that kind of coaching mindset, that manager role, is going to want to learn a little bit about it beforehand. And they're probably already going to have some of those qualities. So as leaders, we have to see that in people and give them the opportunity to feel that out beforehand. I think one of the biggest things with, well, one of the biggest things that management should have is that you step into this area of having to prove yourself all over again. You know, you've been this amazing all-star performer, you've hit all the key metrics of your role, you're able to deliver high outcome and impact for your organization, but now you're moving into this new role where, you know, what, as an individual contributor, the things that really drove success for you can potentially be your downfall as a manager and, you know, get in the way of goals as you look kind of ego in the way that you're rewarded as a manager because the, the motivations and the reward side of a manager um, make this this shift from external to internal. And I think so much of your what drives you as a manager and where you find success has to be that kind of internal motivation that you feel. And not everyone has that. So that's why it's so important to make sure that the right people um, get the chance to move into management roles. So you touched on something really interesting there. So, okay, so you, know, you, you said it yourself. When you were in that early stage of your career, it was a lot about money, recognition, influence. So presumably, if you're only focusing on money, recognition, and influence... If, if I go by what you said, then th those could turn into a problem for you as a manager. So what, what, what okay, so wh how would, what, what do you do? How do you reframe, what does now success look like in, the, in your world? Yeah, I would say um, money and influence are always going to stay there. Sure. And anyone, anyone that says they don't, you know, I'll have them explain to me. But recognition kind of gets pulled out. And I would say recognition changes into kind of that growth and mentorship side of things. Um, so much of being a manager and really anyone is finding that right combination of motivations. You know, you look at attraction, retention, engagement of any employee, um, and that doesn't go away with a manager. I think, you know, for me, when I stepped into management, a lot of that shift from a motivation standpoint switched to that kind of coaching and leadership mentality. Um, and that goes from, you know, I think I have a pretty natural set of people skills, but it was learning how to use kind of, I would call it situational leadership. And that's, hey, listen, you're going to deal with everyone in a different way. Um, and no situation is going to be the same. And I think the motivation for me was having an opportunity to really get to know my team, get to know how people work, how different people work. Um, and that kind of continued learning mindset is where I drew the majority of of my motivation for the first couple of years of management. So what what happens if when I mean, you you mentioned a couple of times that you were you were drawn to that, you're inclined to that. What if you're not? I mean, I can imagine the world of program, I mean, the world of trading, I can imagine and this may be a stereotype and I apologize if I offend anyone right now, but but I, I imagine people are very good at doing math. They're reasonably analytical. Um and they might think a lot of this stuff that you're talking about is just kind of, you know, loosey goosey hogwash and you know, who cares? I'd much rather 
you know, I, I can deliver X amount of dollars and X amount of return to justify a Y amount of bonus by doing whatever it was I used to do before. I mean, the economy does a good job of rewarding proximity to revenue. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, as, a, as, a, as a, I would imagine as a, as a superstar performer, if you like, you're a lot more closer to the, to the hero status of being right at the sharp edge of the deal or the, or the trade or the return. I could be wrong here. I'm looking for you to tell me I'm, I'm talking nonsense or I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm kind of hitting a nail. Because so what, what do you do with those people that are going to be pushed into those roles? I'm sure you, got, you can't tell me you haven't had people you promoted to manager who turn around and like, I don't like, I don't like managing people. I mean, we know statistically that must be the case because 85% of people leave their jobs because their managers suck, right? From their point of view, I hasten to add. And that, I mean, that's a problem. Yeah, and I think, and this is something you and I have talked about a number of times, I think, especially in a purely binary role, um, moving people into a place of power or a place of management um, to them because their mind works in a very binary way looks like a move into purely positional power. So I think they lean into the idea that now my opinion matters more than it did before and it matters more than the people under me. So I think you look at someone that leans heavily into kind of the tactical binary side of the world and they're going to enter a management role with a positional power scope and they're not going to lean enough into the kind of personal side of things. And I think the best managers default more towards the, the personal power side of things and they still have that positional power in them or they still have that tactical mindset, um, but they can pull it out of their team rather than telling, you know, and I think so much of being a good manager, and this starts from the very beginning, is building trust with your team. And it's building, and that trust is a two-way street. You know, I think if you're constantly the one telling your team what to do, telling them the right way to do things, you're not giving them the opportunity to kind of frame both your mindset as a manager, because you're not always going to be right. Um, but it, it doesn't allow um, you to help them frame their kind of career development either. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah. The the addiction the addiction to positional power is quite strong at this stage, I would think. Uh, yeah, that, it's uh, it's very interesting that you took it there. So when when you um when when you looked at that, so do, I got to ask you, did you spend a lot of time in the circle of suck between the two, or or was it easy for you? Did you just like you know coast through it? I think I probably spent less time in it than most people, um, just because. While I have a good technical math mind, you know, I think my brain's always worked well with numbers. Um, I do default a little more to the personal side of things than people that are in a traditional trader role. So I think my, the EQ side of me um, defaults higher than most people in that kind of technical position. So I think I, as I analyzed my new team and I looked at, you know, the transition that I made, I was able to stop myself at times and, you know, listen a lot rather than acting on things with my team. Let them come to problems on their own and not just always be there to, to put a Band-Aid on everything, but let them kind of trip over their own shoes and figure things out on their own at times um, while providing that kind of air support to make sure that they didn't make huge mistakes. Yeah. How, how, how did that go down from a peering point of view? Because, I mean, you're making it sound like there were, you know, there were, <laughs> you were part of a cohort, shall we say. Um, and you know, if I if I read if I read into what you said, it seems like you know others in maybe your cohort struggled with that transition a lot more. What what what? Talk to their pain. Yeah, I think 
you know, moving into a new, any, any individual contributor, especially a high-performing one that moves into a manager role, um, is going to go in kind of like flying high on their promotion. <laughs> you know, they're excited to make all of this change with the team. You know, they were the best performer, so they're going to come in and show everyone how to do it exactly the way they did it. And then they're going to have a team full of people that act just like them and everything's going to be perfect. I think the struggle there is, what I talked about a little bit earlier, is not everyone operates the same way and not everyone learns the same way. Not everyone, you know, has the same skill set. But I think the biggest value of a manager is being able to pull the right skills out of the right people. Um, a team full of 10 people that operate the exact same way might be great in some roles, but I think being able to look at a team that has varying strengths makes the team as a whole stronger, and I think as a manager, the, the two most important things are making sure that you're driving your individuals to be success, as successful as they can be with the strengths that they have, yeah. but also driving your collective team to be as strong as it can be with the collective strengths of your whole team. What's that going to do in terms of... Um like you know if you get if you get really concrete in terms of in in your in your world in the world of a programmatic trader you know what what's that going to look like in terms of tensions during the day in terms of where i spend my time what i should be doing what i shouldn't be doing you know expectations of people above expectations of people below i mean what does that how, how does that manifest itself in concrete terms yeah i think i mean it should look like collaboration you know i think you build a team that is specialists to an extent, you know, I think you want everyone to be good at their role, but um, especially in the programmatic world, no one's going to know everything that's going on. Um, but having a team of people that have that collective knowledge base allows for a more collaborative work environment. Um, it allows for people to not have that kind of sense of imposter syndrome that I talked about in the last podcast is, you know, if you always feel like you need to be working towards that all-knowing kind of uh, mindset, you're just going to drive yourself crazy and you're going to burn yourself out. I think motivation is one thing, and I think um, my teams and, and what I always look for, people that are highly motivated to continue learning and continue growing, and you know they are sponges for knowledge, um, but it's important to make sure that they know they're never going to know everything, especially in the industry we sit in, um, and that's okay. And, you know, as a collective leadership team, we need to make sure that our individual teams are working collaboratively to make sure that we are providing the best service overall, but that can't come from one individual person. Mm. Yeah. So do you, so if you get like real practical, so how does what you do in a day, you got 10 hours or whatever, seven, eight, nine, 10 hours a day, right? Where, 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 where you're working, let's say. Okay. And so Friday, you, you know, Friday, you get promoted pre-COVID, you know, you go, you go to the bar, you get drunk, you have a few, you know, you have a laugh, you come in on Monday morning, it's a new job, and it kind of seems like the same old job because you don't really know what it means. And then three months down the road or, or four weeks down the road, and you got new things being like, what's it going to do to your daily routines? Like, does it change much or, or, or should it change much? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm really curious, like, yeah, what, how does it actually play out from what you're feeling and what you're doing? I think so much of moving into a, and this is kind of like an early manager scope on this, um, but I would say as you move into a manager role over a tactical team, 
so much of that early learning is active listening and getting to know your team. You know, I think those first couple of months should really be, okay, now I'm focusing on, my focus is going from one book of business to a collective, maybe let's say regional book of business. So I need to be really tight on what's going on on the operational side of things. So that's... But that's new, that right, might be a little for, confusing. for them. They're not going to have been exposed to that before. Right. And you would hope that they had had a little scope into it just from the influence they've had over the rest of their team. But the idea is you're pulling back, you're looking at the kind of collective performance of an entire team rather than the binary performance of your work. And the idea is, you know, I think a little more focus on thematic change mm. comes in at this level. And that is, okay, I'm coaching across six different people. You know, let's say you're doing a great job of kind of listening to them, figuring out the right way to um, coach them along and help them develop. Your, mind sh your mindset should shift a little bit to looking for connections between either struggles that they're having with their day-to-day -day or thematic issues that we're seeing from a systemic standpoint across the way we're running our business. And that's where that kind of shift as you move from individual, and to be honest, more senior individual contributors should be thinking a little bit this way as well, but it's looking for ways that we can improve our business or we can improve our, our team um, that aren't necessarily individual situations. Yeah. And I think that is one of the most important development pieces for a collective team is, you know, we look at a collection of five to ten problems across a group. It's like, what are the one to two decisions I can make or what are the one to two trainings that I can put in front of this team that are going to fix 75% of those problems that I've heard this week. And I think that's a, that's a tough one for a lot of people that are moving from an individual contributor role because they're thinking about fixing each individual problem. Yeah, it's almost like a task-based mentality or a tactical mentality. And now you're having to think more operational. Exactly. And I think it's, it's an interesting balance, and it's one that people struggle with as kind of mid-level managers, because there are situations that you do have to dive in and fix that specific tactical situation. I think what I want people to take away from this is becoming a manager doesn't mean like... Don't do that stuff. Okay, I'm done. Like, exactly. It doesn't, it doesn't mean I'm not stepping in and helping in this situation. Yeah. I'm giving up all of this. It means that the way you think is changing. And there are always going to be situations, and our industry is certainly not an exception to this. There are going to be situations that you have to roll your sleeves up and do what you used to do. And you're not losing the scope that you were an unbelievable individual contributor. And you have to be able to go back into that at times. That's just not your main responsibility. And, but would you say that, I, I totally agree. So I, the way we normally express that to people we work with is like a gradient. Yeah, it's like, you know, you... You're going from almost 100% doing your whatever it was that you were doing before. And, you know, maybe that needs to become a 90-10 over the first six months. And then it has to become an 80-20. And then maybe, but it's not a switch off and switch on. <laughs> it's, a, it's a much more gradiated um, process, really. Yeah, it's not. And I think, um, you know, the analogy there is, and you used it, it's not an on-off switch. You know, it's a dimmer switch. It's a dimmer switch. So the lights, the lights are on the dimmer switch. There, it's uh, you're going to need to lean back into that tactical work sometimes, and it's not an or. You know, you not you aren't an individual contributor or a manager. Um, the best managers are able to end that at times, 
and they're able to kind of put their tactical hat back on and help guide the decisioning of the situation. And I think that's such an important thing because so much of management coaching and leadership coaching says you got to take your hands off the keyboard, you got to step away from doing the day to day, but you can't 100%. And you said it's like a great and you can't 100% step away from that because you need that you need that tool in your toolkit. You need to be able to do that at times especially as a new Yeah. Manager. The way we the way I tend to articulate I I think this gets people so warped around the axle because they want a simple answer. That's what I find anyway. People want to, like, that's not my job anymore. This is my job. Therefore, I shouldn't be doing that. I should be doing this. They, they, they want it to be simple and clear. And it's not. It, it's, a, it's a very, um, it's, it's almost organic. It's almost, arti- it's almost artistry. It is. And I think, that, I mean, that's the, a great manager knows when to use that. Yeah. Right? And a great manager knows that gray area and that fine line between micromanaging um, and creating a situation where they are a bottleneck for information as a manager and where the right time to step in and solve a problem um, without stunting your team's yeah. growth is. Yeah, totally. You, you know, um, as, as, you were, as you were saying that, it, it made me um, want to ask you a really pointed question. So where do people go wrong? Because... We, we, know, we know that many people struggle to break out of that, you know, what we call that awesome manager circle of suck, right? You, you know, you've been a great individual contributor. You're, you, you've been promoted. You, can't, you haven't really wrapped your head around what you're supposed to do in addition or instead of. You don't really know that you want to do it. It just feels like a lot of extra overhead. Now I'm working evenings and weekends. Um, and I'm not sure I'm adding any value. No one's telling me I'm doing this good job in the same way. I'm getting crap from below. I'm getting crap from above, right? Um, what, 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 um, what do you see go wrong? I mean, I mean talk, talk to the pain of some of the people that I guess you've, you're responsible for. Yeah, I think the, where you see things go wrong are when people default too far to one end of the spectrum. You know, you always hear lead by example. Um, it doesn't always mean literally lead by example. I think you see the problem of people diving into, and you even mentioned it, doing what they always did. So they become a manager, and then what they think success is or what they think doing a good job is hasn't shifted with that career change. So they think that diving into the tactical side of things 100% of the time, whether that's with their individuals in one-on-ones or whether that's in the work that they're doing on a day-to-day, they think that that's what success looks like. And what they're doing is they're creating a stagnant team. And I think you see a problem there and a frustration there with people that say, hey, I'm doing exactly what got me, like, the recognition of the success beforehand. I'm doing that with the team. I'm showing them exactly how I did it. Why, why am I not seeing the same recognition that I did before? And it's because they're over-micromanaging or they're, you know, leaning on what showed them success in the past and not thinking about the, the shift that they need to make. And I think one of the most important things to being a good manager is knowing that you can always be a better manager. And that kind of recognition of... Probably applies to being a human being. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think that, uh, that scope of, of growth is so important as a, as a manager. And I think, you know, we coach so much, like... The growth of your team is really important. Like, make sure that they are owning their development, that they are tied into it, that they have buy-in. You got to remember that that goes for you as well as a manager. You know, I think um, 
there's a little bit of cutting yourself some slack when you're an early manager too. And you mentioned, you know, the circles of suck at each level of kind of career growth. And I haven't seen anyone make any career shift and be great at the role right away. I think that's, that's not, that's not something that you're ever going to see. Um, and people need to lean into, I mentioned this with the individual contributor side of things, people need to lean into the fact that that period is a period of growth for them. Um, and they need to learn through it. You know, you're being ev evaluated in a new role all over again. You need to reprove your ability to do it. And the metrics for being able to do it and the metrics for success are probably very, very different from the role that you came from. And what are they? As a manager? Yeah. In, that, in your world, think, what are they? Yeah, I think it's, you know, there are hard metrics as a manager, right? And I think this is where people get caught up a little bit because you are going to be measured on the output of your team. So the same measurement that you have as an individual contributor, that now expands to your team. So in the short term, sometimes the things that got you there, um, if you're over-micromanaging, will look like success. But I think... Will, will, will give, me, give me just like, I'm an idiot, right? I don't, I don't really know what the metrics would be in the world of programmatic trading, right? Sure. Give me an example of the kind of metric that, if I was on your team, right, and I clearly I wouldn't be a superstar performer because I don't even know what, what it is really, right, other than the conceptual. What, what, what might be an example of a goal or a metric that I measured against or evaluated against? Yeah, I think um, as a programmatic trader, sure. the ability to um, trade a book of business and consistently hit performance-based outcomes for clients. So, and Is know, that a number? More Would that be like a number? Yeah, and it's dependent on the client. I think when we look at performance, um, that's going to be completely different depending on the client. So right. as we kind of run through the programmatic approach for our clients, um, we always try and tie it back to some kind of outcome. So that might be for Nike, a cost per pair of shoes bought in their online Got shop. It. Or we're looking at BMW, a cost per test drive or car off the lot kind of thing. So I think the ability for a trader, I think on paper, when we put these together for clients, like it looks easy, you know, but it's, it's the trader that's in the DSP, that's in the platforms, making the decisions on how that should be delivered. Um, and that kind of ability to deliver outcome-based ad campaigns um, is a really important metrics for sure. a trader. So the ability to consistently hit performance um, kind of KPIs or goals as a trader, and it's not always going to be in your control, um, but the ability to be really effective in doing that um, is a really easy kind of measurement stick. So if you take that one, it's a really concrete example. And, I, I, and as, a, as a superstar performer, I, I kind of like that, right? Because at least I know where I stand, right? I'm, I, may, I may think it's hard. I may think I may, you know, it may be difficult or maybe, you know, BMW are going to struggle anyway because how do you build a business about the ultimate driving machine if no one's driving in 20 years because <laughs> everyone's on autopilot? I don't know, right? Like, but my, my, I'm, I joke, but my, my point is it's pretty clear, yeah? So, so you can win, right? I mean, you, you can, to me, it's like a math test. You can win a math test because it's a math test. <laughs> it's, it, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. And, and so, so give me an example then of what might be a metric of success as a manager in your world, how is that, how is that metric going to change? Yeah, and I think it's, it's nuanced, but it's pretty similar. You know, if we're looking at the performance side of things, it is the collective performance of your... But now it's across a portfolio. 
your entire team. Exactly. It's across the portfolio. And, and any given trader is going to manage their own portfolio. Um, but it is, and I talked about this earlier, it's, it's thematic change across that portfolio of five to seven people. And that's saying, hey, I'm seeing you know, some inconsistency when I sit down and work with this one person um, on a process that we have. Maybe I'm seeing that across the rest of my team, and maybe this is something that we can be changing across the entire team. Yeah. So it's looking at, you know, maybe we are increasing our efficiency by 1%, but that efficiency by 1% when you're an individual contributor... Yeah, it's $5 million like, or $10 million exactly. or $100 million. And, and you look at it across an entire team, and this is, you know, this continues through your career, is that those little changes um, have huge impact when you look at it over a larger scope of people, a larger scope of the business. And I think that kind of shift to think a little bit more, and I wouldn't even say systemically at that point, it's like when you start to think a little bit more operationally about things. Yeah. And it is, you know, an individual contributor is deep-seated in the tactical day-to-day -day of here's what I do. If I check these 10 boxes today, I've done a good job. As a manager, it's, it's more of kind of the operational side of things and more of... It's more of a, it's more of a collective optimization problem but, exactly. But I, I guess the, the the point in that though is it's gonna it's inherently less clear, and it's is inherently more entropy, because you don't know what your team of five or team of ten are gonna be doing on an hour by hour basis. So, someone's husband, wife, girlfriend, boyfriend may have just got COVID and they're having an off day. Um, so you, you've just inherently got less control over the system that you're trying to optimize for. And and I, I the reason why I bring that up is because I I think what happens then is your your perception of threshold of success decreases. It, no matter what you do, you don't have as much control over your results as you did. And I think that's what promotes the mi over micromanagement because you, when I you think want it to be that what, way. The, the way that, you know, I would, my advice to people moving from a purely tactical role into a manager role is you look at, and I'll use programmatic trading as an example, you look at the way you set up a campaign and the way, you know, you may have it set up across multiple platforms. Um, different targeting tactics. Not all of them are going to work 100% the way you want them to. But part of being a good trader, being a good individual contributor, is learning to develop the way that you're positioning that campaign, the way that you're targeting it, the way that you're delivering it, to have the most optimal outcome. That mindset doesn't change as a manager. Your collective team is not always going to be clicking on all cylinders at all times. You know, and you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's every person is different. Um, everyone has different motivations, different strengths, different fears. And learning how to work on that on an individual basis with your team to drive the, the most motivation and the most outcome um, is an individual and is, is a team effort. Because you're going to have times that, you know, people are down for a personal reason or they're out on vacation or you know they made a huge mistake um, and you need to help them through that. Like These are all things that happen on a regular basis for a manager and they need to learn to, one, I think we missed this in the beginning, like being able to control your emotions as a manager is probably one of the most important things. And I think that is important as an individual contributor, um, but there's a little bit more wiggle room for that. I think keeping a collective even keel and a, a clear head and looking at kind of like 
the forest instead of the trees. I'll use that analogy that everyone uses. Well, it, it, talk, it talks to your role model behaviors, right? If, if you're, if you're yeah. emotionally out of control, then you're telling everyone else under you that it's okay to be emotionally out of control. And you, you're going to have chaos. Chaos is going to ensue. Um, that's not to say you shouldn't be passionate, but there is, a, again, it's a fine line. Yeah, and I think it's, it's an important part of kind of the trust cycle with the team, right? You have to allow a certain level of guided autonomy, I would say, and that's allow your team to do what you hired them for. You know, I think by micromanaging people too much, you're telling them that you don't trust them to do their job. By providing them with autonomy with kind of that air support or that guided autonomy, I'd call it, um, you're allowing them to make mistakes. Um, you would hope not big mistakes. You're allowing them to make mistakes which provide growth opportunities. And I think one of the big misses that new managers have is they don't look at mistakes as growth opportunities. They look at mistakes as mistakes and they correct them um, either themselves or they tell the person how to correct them and tell them they did something wrong. Or they bang them over the head. Look, exactly. <laughs> rather than rather than looking at a way to change that person's yeah. approach or change that person's mindset so that, one, the problem's already happened. You know, you're not going to go back in time and change that the error happened. But what you can do is build trust with your team and build growth with that individual by showing a way to not make that mistake again. And I think that's where a lot of early managers um, miss as it relates to kind of mistakes and, and performance development. Yeah. So switching gears, we're kind of, uh, you know, we're, we're coming up to the time when I normally sort of ask you to sort of uh, focus everyone's mind. So, okay, so what's the top three bits of advice that you would give to, to young managers in your industry, in, your, in the programmatic world? You know, what, what, what's going to be the three most important either mental shifts or things they're going to have to do in order to successfully navigate that circle of suck quickly? <laughs> so three, <laughs> I would say the first one is probably learn to practice active listening. You know, I think the power of asking someone just simply what do you think is so powerful. It builds trust, it builds buy-in. You know, it's a collective approach to driving change. And I think learn to listen to your team. Um, learn to ask them what they think because that's going to not only provide them with more emotional buy-in and more focus, but it's gonna help you drive your strategy as a manager as well. So the first one is kind of learn to practice active listening rather than telling people how to do things all the time. Um, the second one, and this is a little bit of a change here, um, but this is one that I feel like a lot of new managers need to hear and probably don't. Um, while the emotional intelligence, the EQ, and the trust side of things are really important, you are a manager, not a friend. And I think that is a fine line that people walk too closely. Um, you are there as a mentor. You are there to help them. You are there to guide them on personal and work-related situations. But there is a fine line between overstepping that. And I think that simple, you're a manager, not a friend, is something that more people need to hear as they make that transition from individual contributor to manager. Because a lot of times, they're managing people that they were sitting beside two weeks before. And that makes it hard to look at performance development. That makes it hard to look at giving the right kind of feedback. And people need to step back. And this is where I would say that little bit of positional power is important to inject early on because they are now in a position where there's some authority there. They're not going to be sharing they're not going to be sharing the same kind of information as they maybe did 
the weeks before. Well, if they don't, I you know I, I think this one's a really powerful one to bring up because if they don't, it creates gossip. It creates it, it creates cascade poor behaviors, if you will. Um, yeah. Just create bigger issues for everyone else to manage. So yeah, no, it's it's a it's a good call out. Um, and then the last one, I would say, and this is one I wish that I had someone had told me when I first started managing six years ago. But find a mentor, you know, find a mentor that isn't your manager. Talk to them about, you know, you should have an open relationship with your manager, but talk to them about where you're struggling because everyone is. Um, and give yourself a little bit of a break. Realize it's a new job. You need to develop. The growth will come. Um, and lean into kind of that feeling of the unknown. I mentioned that with the individual contributor role too. It's like, that's something you should do at every role is lean into kind of the unknown of the new role. You were not put in the role by accident. You were put in the role because someone saw something in you and there's an opportunity there. So lean into that and know that you're capable of, of doing this new role. You just need to lean into kind of the growth phase of it. What, 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 do you say, what would you say to individuals who find themselves in these, let's call it over-promoted, or, or to use your language, been given the opportunity to be a manager, right? They, and they, you know, you want it. You want the... You want the title, you want the promotion, you want the, you, you want the recognition that comes with that. Three, six, nine months in, you're still in that circle of suck and you're saying to yourself, you know, but, but I don't really like active listening. I like looking at screens. I, I, um, I want to be friends with the people who are actually working and I can still earn enough money that way. Um, and, you know, sure, I want mentors, but I only want a mentor if they're going to help me improve my algorithm, right? I mean, a very content power-based mentor, if, you know, to use our language. What do you say to that person at that point? I, I, and tell me if it's happened. I'm really curious, has it happened in your world? I've, I've dealt with it a couple of times in the last couple of years, actually, and I think what I hear you saying is that is someone that is purely motivated by external factors. Maybe. You know, and I think what, what that means to me is, listen, it is okay to be a high-performing individual contributor the career path for everyone doesn't always lead to management. So I think if, if someone is feeling like, hey, I got put in this management role and it's nine months later and I really don't want to be here. I don't enjoy the team side of it. I don't enjoy the kind of um, open nature of management. I want things to be more binary. I want tangible outcomes I was good at on that. everything. I want to be, I was crushing I be it. more tactical. I was, I was good at that. I think that is something that, um, you have to be open with your your manager about, and I think you know every every manager has a manager, and I think you know part of part of that is as the next level of manager is feeling out, hey, is this person just struggling through the growth that they're feeling, or do they really just not want to be in this role? And I think that takes some coaching and some some guidance from from their leader um, in figuring out, hey, if, if you're career path of your development really lives in kind of the individual contributor role. Let's find a way that like you can have an impact um, on the team that maybe isn't a manager role. I think we can, especially in our industry, we have people that have a huge impact as individual contributors because they look at project work or they look at some of the big kind of systemic changes we can make on product or on kind of the platforms that we use. And that doesn't inherently tie into people management. It ties into the people that love testing and sitting in a platform and sitting in, in front of their computer and doing individual contributor work, but they're able to have more of an impact than what they did before. So I think 
no, no two career paths are the same. And I think anyone that thinks that it's a linear progression of individual contributor to manager to mid-manager to executive um, hasn't thought enough about what yeah. they want. It hasn't thought enough about kind of what they want their end goal to be. And that's probably a really good, good uh, thinking moment for folks. Um, you know, we, we, we do this one to death. It, it's uh, um, the number of, I'll call it graduates, the number of young people that enter, you know, bright young things who are going to crush it at whatever they do. It's so tempting to outsource your career development to your organization. Like they have a career path. In six years, I can be a manager or a VP or whatever, right? And, it, and, and it's, like a, it's like a false sense of security that just by not doing anything wrong, I will just get promoted over and over and over again. And the problem is you might, <laughs> but it might not be what you want. Yeah, and I think I mentioned this to you yesterday, yesterday to be transparent with everyone on this call, and Vip's an email about you know, my own development. And I think when you look for the answers for your development at any point in your career path, if you're looking to others um, for the answers to where, where you should develop next, and that's a great place, like, you're going to get the answers of development. You're going to get some of them from your mentors, from the leadership around you. But if you look solely to the people above you for that kind of guidance, um, you're always seeking approval from them, and you're building a career path that, that might not fit what you want. So I would encourage people at any point in their career to think about what they want and, and think really deeply around where they see the most development for themselves and share it with your manager. Because I'm sure it's not far off from what they're thinking, and you'll feel a lot better working on something that, that you feel really strongly about developing yourself. Yeah, that's, um, that, that's wise words. All right, I'm going to leave you with last parting moments um, of, uh, of uh, encouragement or support to managers um, who are in that circular suck. What, what do you, what do you want to leave them with? I would say, and, and I mentioned this before, you know, give yourself a break. You know, you're not going to learn everything in a week, in a month, in a year, really. You know, the development of a manager, and, you know, I keep using the word manager, but really it's the development of a good leader um, is a continuous process, and you're always going to be learning. Um, and I mentioned it earlier, but uh, to me, a sign of a really good manager is knowing that they can always be a better manager. So lean into your growth. Know that there's always room for development, no matter where you are in your career, um, and give yourself a little bit of a break once in a while. Oh, it's a that's very wise words. All right, so next week, what we're going to do is we're going to take on chapter three, if you like, of this. And we're going to talk about, all right, so that was great. You know, I got out of that circle of suck from awesome manager. I did the things that Will just mentioned. I was crushing it, got a great team. And then someone taps me on the shoulder and says, it's, it's time for you to be an executive. And it's like, oh, shit. Now I've got teams of teams. Um, what do I do now? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? So we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna dig into that world in our next session. Um, Will, thanks again. Um, pleasure as always. It's so natural working with you. Um, a lot of the tools and techniques that Will spoke about today are all part of our Shift Up programs, actually. And uh, we use some language like content power, positional power, and so forth. We've got them in earlier episodes of the podcast. It's also, we have all sorts of training and learning and development programs available for that kind of stuff if anyone's interested. Uh, beyond that, um, what can I say? Have a great week. Be fabulous. See you next time. <laughs>